welcome to the City Pentecostal Church Sermon of the Week. Today, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the only one through whom we are reconciled to God. Today's message is titled Whip, Hammer and the Cross. It's the most important series of events in the history of the world was the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. By means of his death, Jesus fulfilled prophecy and brought man's freedom from slavery to sin. By means of his burial, Jesus removed any doubt that he had really died. By means of his resurrection, Jesus proved he had power over death. This assures us that if we truly trust and obey Jesus, he will one day raise us from the dead also. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest proof that he is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now here's Pastor Harlan Purdy with today's Word of God reminding us of the very foundation of the gospel by which we are saved, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is good all the time. Will you stand with me just for a moment? Lord, we bow in your presence. We ask, Father, that the message that we present this morning, although it's not new, it's been repeated many, many times. And probably everyone in this place today has heard the story several times. Let it be fresh for us today. Remind us. Remind us of the price paid for our redemption. Remind us of the hope that we have that is unique to the gospel of Jesus Christ. No other message, no other theology, no other doctrine, no, no other faith has the hope that is contained in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the hope of life eternal. It is the hope that is born out of the assurance that Christ rose from the dead. It is a hope that is anchored in historical fact. And so this morning, Lord, as we remind ourselves afresh, let your Holy Spirit stir our hearts in remembrance. And may we give glory and honor to the Jesus we serve. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I have been many places. I've had the privilege to travel around the world. I've climbed the Tower of London, stood beneath Big Ben, and I've viewed the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace. I've stood at the foot of the Rocky Mountains. I've gone up some of the heights of the Swiss Alps. I've stood at the banks of the mighty Mississippi. I've driven through the Great Rift Valley. I've been to the Lake of Malawi. I've seen many beautiful places. But my dream was to visit the Holy Land. I wanted to see the lake upon which Jesus walked. I wanted to view places where he healed the blind and the lame. I wanted to behold the hillside where he fed the multitude. 
who wanted to stand upon the Mount of Transfiguration to follow the stations of the cross just as Jesus did so long ago under the cover of darkness I wanted to make my way to that beautiful garden just as Jesus did in the early morning hours that Passover celebration so long ago in that garden Jesus prayed Jesus left the city of Jerusalem late in the evening darkness covered the city the night was still and foreboding but the disciples were unable to understand why why was there such heaviness they made their way into the garden Jesus pointed to a spot and told his disciples to wait and pray until he returned turning to Peter James and John he led them to follow a little bit further into the garden finding another spot he told them to wait and pray he would go just a little further to pray alone there was such a heaviness on his face his eyes had a faraway look and there was a pain there that they could not fully understand Jesus went a little further into the heart of the garden and as he slowly disappeared into the darkness a weight began to settle upon his shoulders they bent with the load of centuries of sin rebellion and evil there was a knot in his heart that threatened to cut off his breath when you enter the site of the garden you will see a big old olive tree this tree say the experts is so old that it was in the garden long before Jesus agonized in prayer there that night beneath this old olive tree is a large rock and I remember as a boy seeing pictures of Jesus praying in the garden by a rock under an old olive tree it is not known for sure but some believe that this is the very spot where Jesus prayed that night I cannot express effectively the emotion that I felt on the day I actually stood in that place lost in time I stood there imagining that scene my soul overwhelmed with grief at the thought that I yes I had made that moment necessary the Bible tells us that he agonized in prayer that night Jesus did not want to die any more than we he knew the cruelty of the cross not only would he experience the physical agony of the most horrible excruciating pain ever devised by man but also the horrifying separation from his father and the repulsive presence of sin God was about to judge him guilty guilty of every human thought deed and expression of evil little wonder his sweat mingled with blood by this rock Jesus set his face as a flint toward the cross the same Jesus who had escaped from the crowd who wanted to throw him over the cliff knew that in only moments Roman soldiers would come and take him away from that old rock altar Jesus cried if it be thy will not my will but thy will be done and from this rock altar you can see the entire city of Jerusalem it stretches before you in panoramic view as he prayed Jesus could watch the approaching throng out of the darkness came Judas 
embracing Jesus, he betrays him with a kiss. Two strong soldiers grab Jesus, wrenching his arms behind him, expecting he would fight and attempt to escape. Peter, half asleep in a fit of rage, swings his sword at the soldiers. Missing, he cuts off the ear of a servant. No, Peter, no, cries Jesus. Didn't I teach you to love your enemies? Picking up the ear, Jesus replaces it, leaving not even a scar. Napoleon said of Jesus, Alexander, Charlemagne, and I have built empires, but upon what genius did we build? We built upon force. But there was one man who built his empire upon love. Although it has been hundreds of years since he lived, there are millions who would die for him. Jesus, my friend, builds his empire upon love. They took the Son of Man and they led him away to Pilate's judgment hall. Pilate interrogated Jesus. Jesus did not defend himself against any of the accusations. Pilate, in frustration, says, Defend yourself, man! Don't you understand your circumstances? Don't you realize I have the power to put you to death? Why won't you answer the charges? Jesus could have defended himself. As a 12-year-old carpenter's son, he had amazed the greatest thinkers of his day. Jesus was a master with words. He had held thousands captive with his parables. He had matched wits with the most brilliant lawyers of his day and sent them away defeated. Had Jesus defended himself, they would have had to release him, for never a man spoke as he did. But Jesus loved you so much that he remained silent. Pilate turned Jesus over to a group of men known for their sadistic actions. They got a certain sensual satisfaction from seeing a man cry and beg for mercy. Many men died at the hands of these vicious, cruel men. Pilate never expected to see Jesus again. He fully expected that he would die at the hands of these men. He did not expect that they would let Jesus by. Many times they would kill a man, especially if he would not beg for mercy. Pilate expected them to kill Jesus on the spot. I can see them now as they take him. Mocking, they say, he is a king. He is a king. Ah, king, says one of the guards. Needs a crown. Tearing a branch from a thorn bush, he makes a crown. He takes it and lightly places it upon Jesus' head. They bow before him in mock worship. One of these scoundrels forces the crown down upon his head. Then they hit him upon the head with reeds until the thorns are driven deep into his flesh. Those thorns were over two inches long. They would have pierced through the flesh into his eyes. The blood would have spurted from his wounds until it covered his face and ran down his body. But Jesus spoke not a word. They were infuriated. They stripped him. They tied him to a whipping post. One of them began to beat him.
Fierce was the beating. Agonizing. The priest looked on. Satan himself mingled with the crowd, taunting Jesus. Thinking he has won, that the victory is his. Beaten, but Jesus does not beg. He does not cry for mercy. Infuriated, the guards wonder what to do next. One of them says, I know. I know what I'll do. I'll make him cry. I'll make him beg for mercy. I've got the thing that will do it. So he went and he retrieved a cat of nine tails, jeering. They look on. Cat of nine tails had been soaking there in water to get the blood and flesh from its last use. Also to make it heavy for its next victim. These cat of nine tails had nine strands of leather, each with a piece of bone, glass, or a stone tied at the end. These pieces were intended to dig into the flesh so that when the strands were pulled away from the body, they would strip pieces of flesh away. So expert were these men that they could literally strip away a man's flesh, leaving ribs and lungs exposed to the open air. They could skin a man with these cat of nine tails. Roman law limited the number of lashes to 39 because no one could survive more than that. 39 times. They lay on him. The lashes. The stripes. For our healing. You can see that old guard. Sadistic satisfaction on his face. The smirk upon his lips contorts his face until it looks demonic. Back he draws the whip again and again, laying the lashes, biting deep into the flesh of Jesus, shaking the body of Jesus, contorts from the pain. Head to foot, the pain pierces through his body and his brain. Lash upon lash. They beat him raw for you, for me. But Jesus does not beg for mercy. 
He bears it for you and for me. When they were finished, his body is dripped with blood. Every footstep leaving a bloody footprint. The guards were amazed. They were infuriated. They had done their worst. 39 of the most vicious lashes they could muster. Even taking turns, they were exhausted from the beating. Yet Jesus had not begged for mercy. In fact, he hadn't uttered a word. Pilate was astonished at what he saw. What kind of man is this, he thought. He looked to the crowd and said, What am I going to do with Jesus? Their reply was sinister. Crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate had been warned by his wife to have nothing to do with this son of God. He said, I want no part of this. All the louder they cried, Crucify him! Crucify him! A last-ditch effort to get out of this quandary came to Pilate. He said, I have the power to release to you a prisoner at this season. I'll give you a chance. I'll give you a choice. I'll release to you this Jesus in whom I find no fault, or I'll let you have Barabbas. Barabbas was a notorious criminal, criminal, one of the worst of his day. He was a murderer, a thief, a terrorist. Daughters were not safe on the street when Barabbas was loose. He was the Charles Manson of his day. Surely, Pilate thought, they would release Jesus, not Barabbas. He thought he had outwitted them. And suddenly I hear someone say, Barabbas. Then another echoes his cry, Barabbas. Another closer to the front cries, Barabbas. Quickly the crowd is whipped into a frenzy until with one voice they are shouting, Barabbas, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Confused. Astonished and utterly decimated, Pilate stands and looks at Jesus, the one who had healed the sick, opened blind eyes, raised the dead, set the demoniacs free. Again it is echoed, crucify him! Once more the crowd, half crazed with the thought of blood, screams with a single voice, Crucify him! Crucify him! Let his blood be upon us and our children! The problem is, many of us are like old Pilate. Pressured with the politics of the crowd, we fall into sin. Pressured by the crowd we take our first step into that sinful place smoked our first joint did our first line of cocaine did our first you fill in the blank because of the crowd how many of us wandered into the pit of sin because we wanted to be with the crowd they gave Jesus big old heavy cross. Most criminals could not carry their own cross. They were too weak from the beating. But Jesus took that cross and began to carry it to Calvary. 
My Jesus took up the cross. Every step left a bloody footprint. The cross dug into his already emaciated body, causing excruciating pain as he stumbled along the way and fell. Women wept for him. Jesus, thinking not of himself, said, Weep not for me, but weep for your sons and daughters. Jesus went all the way, all the way to Golgotha, they call that place Golgotha, the place of the skull. They call it that, for as you approach the scene, the contours of the land make the shadows which give the face of the cliff a skull-like appearance. And on top of that hill stands a lone, ugly old tree. From Calvary, you can see the entire city of Jerusalem. The city just seems to jump up and grab you from this vantage point. Jesus climbed that mountain. He would climb the mountain to pray for the city. Scripture tells us that he wept when he saw the city of Jerusalem. He loved Jerusalem. Once while descending the mountain, he cried, Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how many times have I come for you? How many times I would have saved you? How many times I would have filled you with peace, but you would not let me? Now, this city was going to kill him. His thoughts were interrupted as those old soldiers grabbed hold of him. Expecting a fight, they prepared to wrestle him to the cross. And Jesus looked at them and said, No, no. And he bent down and stretched himself upon that old rugged cross. He stretched out that hand the hand he had placed upon the fevered brow, the hand that had blessed the children, the hand that had cleansed the leper, the hand that had only done good. The precious hand of Jesus. The guard lifted his hammer and drove the nail into his hands and feet. Where were the multitudes now? Where were those he fed? Where were those who cried Hosanna? Where were those he had healed? Where are his disciples? Where is Peter who had proclaimed he would die if necessary? One has denied him. One has betrayed him. Others are hiding. Give me water. And they gave him vinegar and gall. Over his head hangs a sign, King of the Jews. Onlookers laugh. They mock and jeer. Save yourself. Come on down and we'll believe. You saved others. But you can't save yourself. The pain is heavy upon his brow and heart. He hears the sound of the hammer as the nails pierce his flesh. In moments, 
he will hang on that cross. He lift that cross high in the air. Drop it into the ground. And as that cross finds its resting place, every joint in the body of Jesus is dislocated. Jesus. hangs on the cross. He will turn and with loving compassion he will cry to a dying thief today today you will be with me in paradise. Suddenly, Jesus looks into the sky. He can see what no one else can see. 10,000 angels, one of them, white, shining, sword drawn, sees Jesus and cries, let us come, let us come and release you. Let us come and bring revenge and destruction upon this people. And Jesus simply nods his head. No. He did not come to save himself. Doing so would mean the multitudes would be lost. Suddenly, Jesus feels alone. Never before has he felt cut off from his father, but now it seems as though his father is distancing from him. The sky grows darker. They cast lots for his only earth possession, a, se a seamless robe. Naked and in pain, Jesus looked up and said, O oh God, God, why have you forsaken me? For the same God who one day looked down and saw Abraham about to sacrifice his son couldn't stand it. And at the last minute, he sent a ram. God could have sent a ram. He could have sent an angel. He could have sent the archangel Michael. But he loved you and I so much that he sent his own son, his beloved son, and God turned his back. Jesus. Alone. On the cross. Crying. Eli. Eli. Lama Sabachthani. My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? And suddenly there is darkness. And as the darkness lifts, they see Jesus on the cross. And he has died. Life is gone. And you say today, Preacher, I, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have nailed him to the cross. I wouldn't have whipped him. Yet, we live in a day when there is no reproach for serving Jesus. Those who crucified him on that day would have themselves been crucified had they not gone through with the execution. 
But you and I, we drive nails in his hands every time we reject him, every time we disobey him, every time we say no to his yes. We drive nails in his hands, a spear in his side. We trample over his broken, bruised body. We say, let him die every time we walk into sin, every time we reject him, every time we refuse to surrender our life to him. Yes, rejecting Jesus means that we are part of the 21st century crucifixion. Tonight, court is in session. Jesus stands before us. You say, but mister, I don't see him. He's here though. He's here just as much as he was on that day. He stands before us today. And I stand before you as Pilate and I ask you this morning, what will you do with Jesus? As this song plays, think, what will you do with Jesus today? was the price for our sin but this is resurrection Sunday and yes for two days into the third day the body of Jesus lies in the tomb lifeless the activities of those hours and those days are unknown for the most part the darkness covers the earth, the darkness of soul, the darkness of heart, the disappointment, the confusion reigns. But then, the first day of the week, that sunrise, the women make their way to the tomb, planning to prepare and embalm the body of Jesus to anoint it with the spices that it should have traditionally been anointed with before it had been placed in the tomb. Fully expecting to find a tomb in which dwelt the body. 
But upon their arrival, to their surprise, the, the stone is rolled away. Stepping inside, they, they can't see the body. They, they're confused. They don't understand what is going on. And immediately, the place is filled with light. And before them stand two angels, declaring to them, Why are you here? Why have you come here? Why, why are you here looking for a dead man? Don't you remember what he said? Don't you remember his words? He said, yes, I will go to the cross. Yes, I will die. But on the third day, this day, I will rise again. You are seeking the living among the dead. You're in the wrong place. They're still a bit confused. Don't fully understand. But they go. And on their way, Mary Magdalene encounters whom she thinks is a gardener. But when he says, Mary, when he speaks her name, she recognizes and knows that this is the Jesus who hung on the cross. Truly, he is alive. They run, they tell the disciples, and Peter and John journey their way, running as fast as their legs will carry them to the tomb where Jesus had been placed. And when they enter, they see no body. They see only the grave clothes. A few hours later, as they are gathered in the room, talking about what does this mean, amazed and wondering and still a bit confused, and Jesus steps into the room and all of a sudden the confusion clears understanding comes and they bow before him and they worship him and they know that Jesus is alive my friend this morning Jesus is alive he died for my sin but he lives, he lives for my salvation. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. What will you do with Jesus? Will you bow your head? Will you close your eyes? Let me ask you, if you're here this morning and you have not received Christ as your Savior, but you would like to receive him today, would you stand where you are? so that we can pray with you. I want to pray for you this morning. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, but the message today, the realization that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of, the God, of God, He is the only Savior. He is our only hope of forgiveness and life eternal. How many by standing in this place this morning, you'll say, I receive Jesus today. Father, you know every heart in this place. I pray that each one here today knows you. But if there is one who does not, precious Holy Spirit, would you continue to speak to them? Would you continue to remind them of their need of Christ, of their need of forgiveness, and of the provision that has been made at Calvary? Lord, I commit each one into your care and into your hands today. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this week's Sermon of the Week. Remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news because it provides forgiveness of sins, restores fellowship with God, gives hope in death, and the promise of eternal life. And in order for one to receive these blessings, he must die to sin and arise to walk in newness of life. And this is done when one obeys the gospel of Jesus Christ. Join us again next week when we begin our April sermon series titled In Conversation with God. The four-part series will cover basic training and teaching for life's most important task, understanding the why of prayer, love in action, and what to do before giving up. Until next time, may the peace, love, and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Bye-bye. It is well with my soul. Amen? Amen. We serve a risen Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. With my soul It is well With my soul Jesus lives today. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, the fellowship and communion of the mighty Holy Spirit be with each one today and every day till Jesus comes. Amen and amen. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it all, through it all, it is well. Through it all, through it all, 
my eyes are on and it is well it is well so let go my soul let trust in him the waves and winds to know his and winds to know His name. The waves and winds to know His name. Yes, Lord.